Hello, and welcome to this episode of The Fool. I'm your host, Chris Amendor. This podcast is a tribute to the people I've met along my journey and to their stories. I've learned a lot from all of them, and I'm really grateful. This conversation is with Luke, a colleague of mine at Canon Provisions in Lee, Massachusetts. We recorded this over Zoom, and as you will hear, he's a great-humored guy with some amazing stories. I really admire how completely genuine he is. He also has some phenomenal strain recommendations. A quick disclaimer, while everyone at Canon Provisions has been supportive of this podcast, Canon Provisions did not sponsor this episode. Any and all views and opinions expressed in this episode are mine or my guests and do not represent the official policy, position, views of Canon Provisions. Hope you enjoy this episode. And so it begins. Hey, Luke. Thanks again for doing this. I appreciate it. Of course. How's it going, buddy? Oh, it's going really well. Sleeping a lot better. And uh, I wanted to say the other day, uh, thanks again for um, handling my um, my behavior as far as locking my keys in my trunk. Uh, you know, you're very much a gentleman about it. And, and I was acting as if uh, my, my nuts fell off. But uh, I'm a good yeah. diffuser. Yeah, but um, obviously my nuts didn't fall off. So, you know, when I've got my car up, to, up and running. So, you know, two for two. Um, yeah, thanks for doing this again. Because I, I, that day I just was not fully present or not. I, I had prejudged a lot of questions that I was going to have for you. And, oh, and, and even prejudged what you were going to say, which was, you know, not the point of this of the show. You know, the point of the show is to, is, is to find out what turning points in your life brought you to where you are right now. Okay. So you were born in Memphis, Tennessee. Yep. Memphis, Tennessee, born and raised for 26 years. Wow. And so what was childhood like growing up in Memphis? I mean, I had a pretty happy childhood. I, I uh, was in a single parent home. My mom raised me and my brother, who was seven years older. Um, his dad had passed away when he was about five. And I, my dad was not the best guy in the world so but i we had a lot of support from the family i, I had a pretty happy childhood in this actually that's amazing whether so your mom was there a lot of cousins a lot of aunts and uncles or no my grandmother's both grandmothers my my dad's mom and my mom's mom helped taking care of me and stuff like that like i would go over to my dad's mom's house uh, on the weekends and it was just like my own little world because I was her own only grandchild and she was retired. So we just hung out. It was great. That was amazing. And then my, my other grandmother would chip in a lot by, you know, picking me up from school and stuff if, if we needed it. But I generally had rides arranged. My mom would pay like a neighbor, like that had kids that was going to the school anyway, like an extra mm-hmm. like 20, 25 bucks a week just to like bring me home. Well, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, they're going to be there anyway. So, <laughs> yeah. So how diverse is Memphis? Because I hear some, it's, it's not diverse at all, or it's not, um, uh, it's not progressive enough. It's, I mean, for the, for the state of Tennessee, it's, it's extremely progressive. Really? Um, yeah. Um, Memphis, Nashville, and Knoxville, the, the big, the biggest college towns are obviously a little more uh, liberal and progressive than the rest of the state and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, fairly diverse in the city, though. The city itself is about 65 to 70% black. Wow. And then, yeah. And uh, so it's really weird for me up here. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and then, you know, there's uh, white people, Hispanic people, Asian people, mixed, mixed race people. I mean, it's, I mean, it's primarily black, but there's a lot of, um, 
a lot of a lot of different variety of people in Memphis for sure. Wow, amazing. I mean, you know, you get secondhand information all the time that people right. in the South are not going pro- progressive enough and stuff. But uh, I, I've, I've driven through Memphis, um, stopped at a few places in Memphis, but really never got to know the town. What, what was your ex- experience about with Memphis? Um, my general experience was pretty good. I lived in Midtown Memphis, which is the more progressive liberal area. There's a bunch of colleges in there, most of the museums and stuff are towards that area of the, of the uh, city. So my mm. personal experience was never one of, um, I mean, you know, anything terribly unpleasant. I had a gay pride flag, flag on my front porch and nothing really ever, you know, no bad stuff ever happened from that. So. Oh, that's cool. That's very cool. And, you know, to be very forward, I, I grew up in, uh, I'm in my fifties. I grew up in, um, an environment where being gay was not acceptable and and you know it's that that's 70s 80s time and there was a lot of mockery of gay people and of course with AIDS coming out there was there was a lot of gay bashing you know unfortunately and and people having fearful ideas about you know about sexual so I've always come from a place where for my coworkers to say that they were gay was like, you, what, what? It was just like, Shh, you know, keep that down, keep that down. And when you told me you were gay, I, I was, I, I had that feeling again of like, hey, you know, like, oh, wait a minute, this is okay. You know, this is fine. So uh, what, what was it like for you? I mean, you have the stereotype of being gay in the South is not easy. So what was that like? Uh, you know, but did you experience a lot of hatred? Did you, from um, cities or... Like I said, coming from Midtown, not so terribly much, but you could always tell, like, if I was with my boyfriend or whatever, wherever, I mean, you could always tell you were getting second looks and stuff like that. But it was never one of, never really a reaction of violence or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. We would mention that we both understand, like, um, there's a lot of Christian influence in the South. Yes, very much so. Did you, and how is that, how did that interfere in your life how did is there a direct impact on your life uh, as a result of that um not so much like again like not oh you're going to hell or you're going to hell or anything like that just because i don't know that's hard to explain like just because the south is so religious and everybody knows that being gay is against god it's just kind of this underlying i don't even think really it's a conscious thought mm-hmm no, I've never, like, I don't know. It's, it's hard to explain. I never really, like I said, never really had any, like, fire and brimstone, couldn't repent or you're going to go to hell, you know, anything like that. But, again, I was living in Midtown. So. Yeah, right. In a liberal city. So, in a lot of places, I mean, I had an ex that went to straight conversion therapy when he was, like, 16. Ooh. Ooh. From the south. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, is he okay? Is he... Oh yeah, he's he's very gay, <laughs> as he was before. <laughs> yeah, he actually lives up here too. He lives a couple of miles from here. Nice. Wasn't he's that, from Memphis as well. Was was that the person you moved up here with? Yes. Yes. As a matter of okay. fact, it was. Wow, good for him. You know, good for him for not folding and and giving into and giving into lie. You know, I mean, because he it's, actually it's, ended up sleeping with his conversion counselor. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So as you can tell, it worked very, very well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that's the best. 
I, yeah, love, I, I love stories like that. I love it. He's he's got to write a story or some sort of some sort of uh, like a, a short love story and just to submit it. That's that's uh, that's amazing. Yeah. Amazing. But that, that it wasn't hard for you. A lot of people accepted who you were. And nobody re- it was a rejection. I I mean I came out at fourteen in a Catholic school, so I wasn't really scared of much. Oh, Catholic school! Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I was in ninth grade. I just was like, "Well, hell with it, whatever." Yeah, I mean, you, there, there must there's there was a teaching in the church about how the homosexuality is bad. Did you ever feel like you were bad? Not one second. Wow, that's not awesome. one minute ever. That is so. Awesome. I mean, why? Well, I mean, I don't know. Like, I never, I was never religious. I my family was mostly. Um, I guess back then they were agnostic. Now we're all atheistic. except my grandmother and my, my brother a little bit mm-hmm. as kind of a Christian. Um, but like they're decent Christians. They like, my grandmother is like the only true Christian I've ever met in my entire freaking life. She really practices the golden rule. She never says anything bad about anybody. I mean, like she's, she's a really, really nice lady. Like she's a really proper lady. She's 94. She don't have a lot. Of, she don't have a lot of shit to say. She's still in Tennessee, right? Oh, yeah, they all are, except for me and my mom. Okay. And um, what, so at 13 at that point, you just came out and everybody just said, you know, this is wonderful, this is great. What, what kind of, what kind of, how did the world open up for you at that point? Um, well, I mean, I was still in like ninth grade, so not, it's not like I came out in my 20s and started going out to clubs and shit like that. I mean, no, I mean, I was still in the, in school and. I mean, I guess it was easier to talk to people. Like, there was a couple other gay kids in school that I was able to, like, be friends with and stuff like that. But nothing, you know, romantic or anything like that. But, I mean, it was just nice being who I was. I mean, nobody really – I mean, I'd like to say that nobody really treated me different. I mean, I I can't think of any particular instance where I was felt, you know, discriminated against. Right. Because the South does have that reputation for being discriminatory. Of course, I did. You know, I was in Midtown Memphis, a very, very liberal part of a very smart city in the South. So, yeah. you know, we're not, I'm not talking about small towns outside because they that's a completely different story. Yeah. In Memphis, you felt like there, there was a security there. But outside of Memphis, outside the area, you, did you feel any right. security whatsoever? Exactly. I was yeah. I felt safe within the major city limits, but once I got out into Hick towns, I I never really felt um, I don't know. It was just uneasy. It didn't really feel like somebody's gonna run out and beat me with a baseball bat. It just felt like that they just feel like oh that's that's the one that's different, you know, kind of like yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. So it was weird. It's hard to explain. Yeah. I mean, was it how many? Like, how, how often did you have to go and experience this? Was it, did you have to get to work? Did you have to work in that environment? Did you? No, no, I always worked in the city. It wasn't that often. Just when I'd go see friends that I'd met, you know, or on on the phone or whatever, you know, outside the city. So it wasn't too often, but often enough to where I didn't want to experience it again. Yeah, like you said, it's a completely different story. It's a lot of um, a lot of billboards for Christian. Uh, I remember driving through Tennessee and seeing a lot of billboards for like, you know, come to Jesus, Jesus will save you and stuff like that. I saw a lot of that. Well, yeah, well, Jesus will save you. <laughs> I mean, they're not wrong. Yeah. If you're that damn lost, maybe you need Jesus. Well, yeah. You need true. a billboard to tell you your direction in life. 
Some people do, man. Some people do. Oh my God. Who put up that billboard? They're so right. I need Jesus. <laughs> Never thought but, of it. But, you know, even though I do poke fun, some of the fun of the things of the Southern culture, but there's some things I actually missed about it. Uh, the food. Absolutely, positively, the food I miss. I miss grits. Oh, my God. I love grits. People you up do. here don't know what the hell grits are. They have no it's idea. So funny. No clue. Ground hominy. But then they don't know what hominy is. <laughs> yeah. But I, I got to say, I was a picky eater when I was a teenager. And then when I finally went to the military and, you know, you, you didn't have a choice. You got what you got. Um, you know, I, I had grits for the first time, putting butter, putting syrup on top. I just fell in love. And then I had real grits in the South. And that was just, that was at Marriage Made in Heaven. That's one of my favorite yeah. dishes of all time. You know, barbecues. I miss the Southern barbecues. The other thing I miss the most was even though the yes, outside of the major metropolitan cities, I miss the hospitality. Um, I remember getting a flat tire, somebody pulling over, helping me with the flat tire, and then they, then they invited me to their home, had dinner with the family, and I went out. They gave me 10 bucks for, for gas. I had a flat oh, tire. Wow. <laughs> you know, so you I had that, your tire, fed you, and gave you $10. Yeah, gave me $10 for gas and said, <laughs> you know, I had fun. You know, and that kind of southern hospitality I miss. But like, what, what, what do you miss about the South? I mean, I kind of miss, like, the flavor of the people. I mean, it's mm -hmm. a lot of white folks up here. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm very white myself. So what, what made you want to come up to the Northeast area? Well, <clears throat> Thomas, the guy that I was seeing at the time, was actually employed at Shakespeare Company up in Lenox. Mm -hmm. And we had been going back and forth, like, wanting to be together. But he was up here a lot. So finally, I just made the decision that, I'm done. I'll just save up money and move up there. I was 26. I didn't really have a lot holding me there except a job in my family, but you know, I can always see my family. And uh, I kind of always wanted to be in, in Massachusetts for some reason. My aunt lived in Boston for a couple of years. I mean, in her 20s, so like 45 years ago. And it just always seemed like, I don't know, the place to be. They were the first to legalize gay marriage. They were the bluest of the blue up here. And I, really needed that change in my life. <laughs> yeah. But you had you come up here to visit before? Had you come up here and seen more? No. Oh, I moved up here sight unseen, dude. Dude. I had no idea I was moving to such a tiny, tiny little area. I mean, he told me a small towns is a soft, but I moved up here. It took us, it was like a three day drive because we pulled the trailer. And we drive, no, we were driving a U-Haul with my car towing behind it. So, yeah, I moved up here sign scene. We didn't have utilities in the apartment because he had never had an apartment before, so he didn't think about getting them turned on. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so for like a day and a half, we had no utilities. Wow. It was great. There was an outlet in the hall because it was an apartment building, right? Okay. So we like ran two extension cords in and set up some lights and like a TV, but we didn't have our own utilities for like a day and a half. It was well, how great. Did you, how did you know he was the one to move up here with and to trust him? How did you, you know? I mean, he clearly wasn't right. the one, but I wanted to get out of Memphis. Well, I wanted to get out of Memphis so bad that I kind of grabbed onto anything, really. Ah, okay. I think at that point, I mean, I did care about him a lot. It just didn't work out with us sexually, so. Yeah. Wow. Which was a problem. What what was the what was the driving need to get out of Memphis? What what well, how come like it was just you just needed change or? 
I wanted some change. I wanted to live in the Northeast, and I just he lived up here, and I just came. Nice. He came back uh, two days before he left and helped me back up and everything. Yeah. What were the things you liked to do as a kid? What was your What were your passions? What did you want to be when you grew up? What down there? Yeah. I mean, we were into comic oh, books. Were you into art? art were you an artistic person? Were you? As a kid, I was really into like Star Trek and science. You know, I mean, I'm like a big old dork. I still love science and Star Trek, stars, space, whatever. I was never into sports. I was never into really comic books. I was never into stuff like that. So, would your ideal vacation uh, be going to like the great sand dunes in Colorado and checking out the stars? Um, actually, we went to the Huntsville Space Museum when we were when I was a kid. Me and my mom went on this road trip. We went to, uh, I mean, it was only like five days, but we went to Huntsville, Rock City, and something else. And we went to the Space Museum, and it was really incredible. And when I was in Hawaii uh, two years ago, I went to Arecibo, uh, not Hawaii, um, Puerto Rico. I went to Arecibo, the giant mm, right. underground radio telescope. Telescope. Really amazing. Really? Yeah. It probably got really destroyed in Hurricane uh, Maria, but there's a really cool museum there. Like, you know, it's pretty basic for somebody who knows, you know, has watched a lot of stuff and, and knows a little bit more than the average person, but it was still very cool. So if you had your druther, would you, would you pursue, if you had the money and the means and the time to be able to do it, would you pursue uh, a career in uh, astronomy or just, this is something you like to do for a hobby? Uh, probably just for a hobby. I yeah. kind of really like what I do now. <laughs> I mean, uh, would you see yourself investing in, in a telescope sometime down the road and being able to look at the stars? Yeah, I can yeah. see myself doing that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I've got a huge window here where I live and man, oh man, I just waiting for the day when a little bit more money comes in, I can get that telescope. It's absolutely beautiful here. It's incredible. Yeah, I was with Lola last night and she's really kind of cool about that too. We were, we were sitting around a fire and then I got it to leave and she goes, wait a minute, just look at the stars for a minute. And they really are amazing because you're kind of out in the country and you can, because the galaxy is flat. If you look at a certain direction in the sky, it's like it looks like a an almost milky swath in the sky, yeah. and that's when you're looking onto the edge of yeah. the galaxy. And I just love being able to see that out here because you can't see that in the city. No, no, you can't. Yeah, that's that's the downside of being in a city. That's I, I but for me, that's what I want to do for my vacations: go see the stars as much as possible. My ultimate goal a couple of years from now will be to walk the road to Santiago from. Uh, northeast spain to northwest spain that's what i, I oh, wow. yeah and you can see the stars along there the the folklore about that is that it was the road to atlantis that's the folklore about it and the way that before there were stones and paths put up that the way you could tell was to walk a starry path to get there and so oh, okay yeah it was based on the starry path so i you know i'm i'm you know, I'm, I'm, I'm jonesing about that stuff too. What, what, were the stars interesting to you? Because you, do you have a belief in UFOs? Do you have a, like a wanting to see other worlds or? I, I just, yeah, I mean, I would love to be able to go into space. I just love the science of it all. Like not like the aliens or anything, just like just being able to get out there and explore things. And you just, you know, it won't happen in our lifetime, but it's just, 
like seeing science fiction shows where you can just like blink and you know a couple of days or another planet i mean it's just amazing i mean the, the fact that there's so incredibly much out there and the fact that some people believe that we're alone in the universe is just ridiculous to me <laughs> and uh i just would love you know to get out there and see it because i never will but i mean i would love to just get out there and see it right that'd be great your favorite star trek character oh good god i can go per show voyager was janeway uh enterprise was trip next generation is probably data original series is probably spock and Deep Space Nine was probably, oh damn. Well, it depends on the time of the, of the series. Mm. But yeah, um, I yeah, I love Star Trek. <laughs> I can keep going. <laughs> and um, what was your favorite Star Trek movie? Hmm. Of the original six, I would definitely have to say Wrath of Khan. Mm-hmm. Of the Next Generation movies, I would most certainly, without a doubt, have to say First Contact. And of the new three, I would probably say Into Darkness, the one with Khan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So two out of three are, have to do with Khan. Yeah. He's a good character. I mean, he's, uh, what do you do against the, you know, the, the most, uh, you know, the perfect soldiers with a, with a genius brain? That's pretty dangerous. Um, Did but you see my Rainbow Children? You which one? Our oh, Rainbow Children. You got it. Yeah. That's pretty sweet, dude. I haven't had a chillin' in so long. I don't own one because I, I, I kind of, I, I always mess up when I put them in. The, more, more than half. I don't own them because I need a bigger bowl than that. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. The Captain Kirk that you would get behind, which, which is your favorite Kirk style um, captain? Oh, man. Meaning like original series versus movies versus new Kirk? Out of all of them, out of all the Kirks, out of all the captains that have graced the, you know, graced the, the Star Trek universe. I probably like the original Kirk command style a little bit better, yeah. like in the movies, because he was pretty badass. But mm-hmm. as far as look goes, obviously new Kirk. New Kirk, yeah. And he did well. He did. I think he did. He has a really good presence about him. And um, what, at what point did you decide that, well, you, you were waiting tables for a while, right? So did you wait tables in, um, in Memphis? I waited tables for 20 years total. Wow. 12 years in Memphis and eight years up here. Wow, 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 wow. I guess yeah. it's a yes. <laughs> 16 to 30, 15 to 35. Wow. I mean, I mean, I didn't wait tables at 15. I was waiting tables by the time I was 18, but I was in restaurants full time for 20 years. So you were doing the uh, Buster Runner thing before you became a waiter? I did. I was in the, in the beginning, I was a dishwasher. I was a busser. Then when I, I got a certain job, I was another dishwasher left in a Mexican place. That was awful. I was disgusting. Don't ever do that. And then I got a job as a busser slash runner. And that's when I got my promotion to um, server. And I never looked back. It's good damn money. Yeah. Really good money. Yeah. What places did you work? Like entertainment worked, places or just fine dining? It's just all kinds of different places. I worked in Lexus Lounge at the FedEx Forum, which is like the fine dining restaurant in the uh, in the arena. And then when mm-hmm. I moved up here, 
I worked at Church Street Cafe on Church Street in Lenox for damn, eight seasons. Worked a couple other places in Memphis too, but you know, up here I worked at Church Street Cafe and I worked at Frankie's for nine years. They were owned by the same couple, and then when he got when they got divorced, they you know, Church Street was part of a, a restaurant group that he started with his friends. So he was part owner of Frankie's and part owner of Church Street. When they got divorced, she got the house. I mean, he got the house and she got Frankie's. And now oh. she's making so much money. <laughs> even, even now. Really? Even with COVID. I mean, I feel like she's not, I mean, she's not making a, a ton, a ton of money, but she's still doing well. Wow. Everybody wants to go to Frankie's. So where, where is Frankie's? So Main Street in Lenox, right next to uh, what used to be like the little uh, O'Brien's Market. And the gas station. Do you know Main Street Lennox at all? No, not really. Yeah. It's a little yeah. place. She actually bought the O'Brien's Market next door and is turning it into a like a really uh, artisanal pizza place. Should be open. It was going to be open this summer, probably next fall or this fall. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah, I don't get out much, unfortunately. I'm just home quite a bit. Yeah, so I'm kind of a boring guy. <laughs> the shift we work sucks. I work 1230 to 8:30. I mean, you can't do anything really before. And you can't do anything after. Yeah. I mean, if you want to go out for like a, an early, early lunch or a late breakfast, I mean, you can do that on the days we work. But other than that, everything's closed and we're done. Yeah, for the most part. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's it's kind of good because I, I don't really have the money to go out and spend on. It's kind of good. It's kind of a good excuse for me. But do you do you miss waiting tables at all? I miss the money. I miss some of my coworkers. I miss zero of the client. I mean, I miss a little bit of the clientele, like my regulars and stuff, but like pretentious New York customers. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. yeah that was everybody in the summer. <laughs> I was, I'm not even lying to you because right. everybody, I'm not, I mean, literally I'm barely even exaggerating. Like so many second homeowners come for Tanglewood and, and Shakespeare and company and stuff like that. I'll, I'll like pick up like one time I picked up a shift on a Monday and I was like, Hey, I haven't seen you guys in forever. Cause they're like, yeah, we come in on Monday. Cause there's no shows, no, no theater, no Tanglewood earns. Like we don't come out in the summertime. Wow. That's, that's for the tourists and they're nasty. And I was like, tell me about it. Yeah. I don't miss it at all. <laughs> I was doing it for 20 years as well. You know, but um, Brene Brown has a, something very good to say about us people who've been doing it for so many years. She's like, they're just, authentic and great people because you just have to deal with a kind of different different uh, personalities and you have to be very diplomatic in every way you know um, I missed the training that it offered I missed how how every single person was in challenge to to put a smile on their face that was always a personal challenge for me but it, the but at when the it was end of the day when I yeah. do it for like nine shifts a week mm-hmm. I don't want to have to work to put a smile on your face I don't want right. your abuse yeah. I don't need shit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, and that's what all they give you is abuse and shit. And I'm just, I mean, when I knew, I mean, I was making a lot of money in restaurants. Like, I was making mm-hmm. the, I mean, easily almost a grand a week to over a grand a week. Wow. In the summertime. Not not in the wintertime, obviously, because, I mean, there's no tourists. There's, you know, but I would be at the end of my, my last summer at Frankie's, I would be at the end of a shift. Walking out with 250, 300, 280, you know, whatever, like at least $200. And I would look at my coworkers and say, I can't do this another year. 
Well, I, I don't want to do it another year. I can't. I, I did it. I started up here in 2011, and I went through 19. So that's nine summers. Nine summers of abuse. Nine summers of these terrible, awful people. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> well, there's a Native American saying I heard from one from one of the tribes that um, if you don't have anything to chop down a tree, yell at it a lot, and it, it will eventually fall. Yes, eventually. Yeah. Might take years, but yeah. And what do you think of that sense you so far? Do you think that you've let your boundaries get pushed back and, and you, you just become like a, a punching bag? You've allowed yourself to become a punching bag because you've had Hell to? Hell no. No? Maybe in the beginning when I was younger and more naive. But once, once I hit like 30, 32, mm. I'm not taking your shit. I will be very polite. You have, you, I, I will come up to you and I'll be very polite. You can back to me one time. I will be very polite in my response. You can bark at me again. And while I am by no means rude, my, my sugar is gone. I'm just like, I become, I get on their level a little bit. And I just have to become super just like, well, okay, what do you want with that? Okay, how do you want that done? You know what I mean? It's just like, they don't want that shit. Mm. It's, I don't know. It's weird. No, I don't no. miss it. No. But it made you a better salesperson, though. I mean, you somebody who can who can maybe a stronger person. Yeah, I mean, you're gonna literally abused fifty hours a week for ten years. <laughs> like, mm. you either break or you grow. You know. Mm. Well, it depends. Uh, like, you don't want to develop calluses in the wrong area. You know, you don't want to put a callus over your heart. That's the most important thing. But the juxtaposition of that was in the wintertime, it was all locals. It was all great people, all people we liked, people that were, for the most part, pretty pleasant. And we knew their names. And, you know, I mean, it was, you know, so it was only like those 10, 12 weeks a year that it was really awful. But 12 weeks of that's pretty intense. Enough. And after, the, after my ninth 10 to 12 week session, I was done. Mm. So well, I started right then and, and like, um, I think October or November, I started putting my application in at Canna. I got the job. I started February 1st. Wow. Yeah. I was telling um, Spencer uh, yesterday about the fact that in Denver, Colorado, it is super hard to get a bud tender's job. Super hard. Oh, and, God. Yeah, it, because everybody wants that position. And over at Canna, it's, it's if you're good with people and you're good with other, you know, you're good with the coworkers and you're, passionate about weed you have a job you know well i mean we have we hire a lot of people and we get everybody we give everybody a chance to do everything which is yeah. great and i feel like that's kind of unique to the company almost a little bit yeah i don't know yeah given chances and it's, can you shine can you keep this up can you help us put a roof over our head if you can do that sure why not and um so one one uh, one turning point in your life was smoking marijuana. When was that, and do you know what the strain was? Oh, weed! I was smoking when I was fifteen. When I first started, I didn't have names. No, <laughs> that was some Mexican dirt weed, my friend. That had seeds, stems, everything, yeah. all that shit. But yeah, it really helped me get out of my shell. I I was very shy before that, believe it or not. Really? Yeah. Wow. A very shy kid. I was a very, very shy kid. Wow. I mean, it was like painfully, like paralyzingly shy. What What were some examples? 
Like, I would go down to my friend's house, and instead of knocking on the door, I would stand wow. out in front and hope that he would just look out the window and see me out there and want to come play. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Shit like that. Damn. I mean, what's what, – well, there was something that made you want to challenge. I mean, there's some something in you that said, hey, I want to try that weed. Yeah, I mean, was it a friend that was uh, you? you yeah, my with? friends from school were doing it, I guess. Yeah. Okay. And they had like this metal pipe that was, <laughs> it was actually kind of cool. It was um, plumbing fittings mm-hmm. and it had like a little, like a valve and everything. So you could, there was a bowl and the valve didn't work or anything, but you would hold it by the valve, a red brown valve, like you would turn on like mm-hmm. a pipe. Mm-hmm. Hold it by that and light the bowl, and yeah, I got. I took like three hits and was very, 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 very stoned. I got sick, as a matter of fact. Really? I for I had to actually force myself. I got sick the first few times. Wow. Was it? Did it become a um, once in a while thing with you, or did it just become a regular yeah. thing that you? Kind I of mean, liked? at first it was like once a week, once a once every you know couple of weeks but within like four or five months it was almost a daily thing yeah i was just better yeah and what were your what were your dealing experiences like what, what i mean did you work with the dealer did you did you end up um what, what, you know it's what, funny i didn't actually buy weed for the first two years that i was smoking i just smoked with friends and they would leave me a little bit here and there and the first time I got it was a friend of mine's dealer. And it was just this guy in a van. He drove up. We gave him our money. We, we got in the van. We, I mean, she knew him. Never done that. Right. We drove around the block. We handed him money. He handed us the weed. We got out about you know, three houses down from where we were. Drove back, got back to my car, drove back to her house and got stoned. Nice. It was very easy. Yeah. Well, you didn't have a bad dealer's experience. That's cool. No, not once, no. Yeah. Of course, I was getting weed, you know, not like anything hard. Right. Yeah. I mean, my experiences in New York City were a nightmare. I mean, yeah, sometimes I have to wait a whole weekend. I have to take a whole weekend off just to get weed. It was it was not good. You know, it was oh wasted a lot of time. You know, got a lot of work at home done, but not much beyond that. So, I mean, what, what, do, you, what do you like most about the Northeast? Smart. <laughs> it's not... It's not Republican. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. I mean, people appear thoughtful and they understand what the greater good is. And they under, I mean, this whole COVID thing has brought it into complete focus. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody here is wears masks. They do their part. They try to social distance when they can. The grocery stores are getting a little weirder about social distancing. But in the South, my mom said my mom went down there for like three weeks. She just got back two weeks ago. And it's not like that down there. There's not even a, there's a, like, it's a mask suggestion. There's not even a ma- mandatory mask thing. So people are in the grocery stores all over each other without masks. I mean, it's just, I don't know. Wow. It's kind of, that's kind of it, basically. Wow. I mean, yeah. I, I thought we all kind of learned a lesson from Florida, but I, I, I guess not. They haven't learned shit from anything. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. I'm, I don't know what to say. <laughs> they don't. I know, they're dumb. That's, that's, uh, And Memphis itself has a mandatory mask rule, but only about half the people follow it. Wow. Because the state itself doesn't have one. I mean, I've seen a few occasions where people walked in, got service, didn't have a mask on in, in, in like little uh, gas stations here and there, but it's, 
For the most part, though, like 95% of people have masks on. Yeah, yeah. They're really good about that up here. I mean, who wants to wear a mask all the time? Nobody. Just something you have to do. But the one thing I, that when you went on your, on your break and I would see you at your break, you'd show me the COVID numbers. And they kept you know, escalating, getting higher, getting higher, getting higher. You were, you were, you were pretty obsessed with it. Um, what is it that you want to tell people that, uh, you know, to, how to stop the spread of, of, of this virus from, from going further and further? What do I want to tell people to yeah. stop the spread? Yeah. Wear your mask. <laughs> And stay the hell away from each other. I mean, that's literally it. That's all we have to do. If eighty percent, I've read something like a couple weeks ago. If eighty percent of people wore masks, the infection rate would drop like seventy percent or some shit like that. I mean, it's insane. Wear your mask. Mm-hmm. That's all I want to say. Yeah, that. I mean, I mean just, like, what else can you do? Yeah, it's. I mean, our numbers are showing it in Massachusetts, New York, and the surrounding areas where we have the least because we're. For you know, enforcing that mask rule, you know, because we got really hard hit at first, exactly. People understood, and now people in the south they haven't really got started getting hit except in a few states, and they don't really believe it's coming. Like Tennessee has more cases than Massachusetts now, but they're like it's such a big state, they just don't see it coming. It's just gonna, but it's coming, yeah. But people are scared because they, you know, how can you keep up this quarantine for such a long period of time? And no one's making money. And so I get no one's making money in this, but you got to think about the greater good. And I think people have a hard time with that. They're in a huge denial. Um, but yeah, I mean, now that you are here in the Northeast, what, what has been, how can I say this? Um, because you had mentioned in the South that not, in the, you, you, were, you were in the city area and in the city area, it's like, you know, you can walk around with, you, with your partner and, and, and not have to worry about getting hurt or getting uh, yelled at or being called names. But when you get outside of Memphis, it's a different story. Yeah. I mean, do you feel like that ever happened up here to you at all? Never. Not once. Okay. Good. I mean, I didn't even realize what it was to, <laughs> not to be a big deal until it really wasn't a big deal when I, was, when I moved up here. Yeah. That's good. Now that you are working at Canna, what's the, the experience been like? About working with Canna? Yeah. I love working with Canna. They're yeah. a very accepting company. They're very, I mean, they, they put you where you thrive, but they yeah. still, you know, slide you around so you can, you know, experience other things and, and learn new things. And, you know, I'm, I'm only been there for, since February and I'm working Towards, I'm starting to work towards a promotion, and and that's really cool considering we weren't there for ten weeks. You know, I mean, like it's, I love Canon. They're a very yeah. great company. Yeah, they've been very good. I mean, insurance the whole nine. It's like it's been quite amazing. And um, but one thing that I've I've taken from Canon is how much I don't know about weed. <laughs> you know, and how and how much I. And, and just in heaven about the fact how much I need, I can learn and how much deeper marijuana is. And I, I've only been smoking steadily for about seven, seven and a half years. And that's how much I, I believe that BS about that was bad for you. But now it's completely like you. I had terrible social anxiety as well. I mean, I was afraid to ask to use the bathroom because my, right. you know, it was so, I was so painfully shy myself. Um, so it, it's, weed really has helped me out it's really helped me with a lot of things 
and I love sharing that passion with other with other uh, customers. Is is that is that one of the things that you love most about your job? Yeah, absolutely. It's um, just the fact that, well, for me, one of the things that I love about it the most is like seeing all the different kinds of people that come in, mm-hmm. and like, and that is kind of. I mean, it's also kind of along the same lines of sharing your passion with the customers because a lot of these people haven't been able to be open about smoking weed for forty years. No. Absolutely. Now they can talk about it and I can, you know, say, you know, I'm also from the South and this doesn't happen down there. And they're like, wow, wow, I've been waiting for this forever. And I'm like, I know me too. <laughs> it's, you know, it's great. Yeah. I love just the variety of, I mean, it's, I've never seen such a diverse group of people. <laughs> and you know, that's the thing that I'm being jazzed about most when it comes to Canada, when it comes to, when it comes to the, 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 the marijuana culture. I think it's going, to, it's going to be a great way for everybody to start talking again. I think it's yeah. going to be because it doesn't matter, you know, what background we've come from, no matter what's happened. It's like we all have one thing in common. We want to be happy. We yeah. want to feel relief from our anxiety. We want to feel uh, uh, relief from, from, from this sleeplessness. You know, we want to feel relief from all this stuff. And this plant is a freaking miracle, you know, and we can get to enjoy it for its potency, for its flavor, for everything about it. And, I, I just think that, you know, you're right. It's brought so, such, so much diversity from people who are in their 60s to people who are, you know, buying it legally for the first time and just turned 21. It's amazing. It's amazing to watch so many people like get relief, keep coming back and ordering the same strain for their insomnia, for their pain, for, you know, it's just, it's, it's amazing to see the alternative medicine that was meant to be there a long time ago. Right. You know, I like, the, like the tinctures and the Nordic goddess and all that kind of stuff. It's just exactly. Amazing. Um, yeah. So, but what, what do you like to do for, uh, for kicks and grins? For what? what? What makes you happy? What are your hobbies? What, what are your, Oh, what, you would... sorry. I'm a little stoned. That's all right. <laughs> I prefer you to be. Um, I've got a ton of plants. I like gardening. I love my dogs. How many? Huh? How many dogs? dogs? Two dogs. I've got this guy right here. Oh, oh cute face. That's my gallo. And I've got the little crazy girl that's attacking him. <laughs> right here. They're my Stella. That's a cutie. Yeah, they're my they're my they're my babies. Um, how long have you had them? Um, I've had Gallo now for uh almost five years and Stella for almost two. And then the dog that I had to put down last year, I had for over 15 years. Oh, my God. Oh, I've, I've had to do that. Uh, dude, I'm so sorry. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Wow. That is rough, man. That, that is, that's a rough one. Yeah, how, it definitely was. How did you deal with By getting three more? Um, what'd you say? Yeah, by, yeah, how did you deal with it? By getting three more? No, actually, these two guys were already here, and then about uh, three months ago, my mom got a six-pound chihuahua. She lives next door. But um, I got – we got Gallo and Oz together. I mean, not together, but we got Gallo because Oz was alone all the time. And then about six months before we he passed, my mom wanted to try to get a dog for herself, and Stella decided that she would rather just be with the pack instead. No. How is how is your mother? She's good. Yeah. How does she like the Northeast? She loves it. Yeah. She absolutely loves it. Yeah. 
she was determined to retire up here about two years after I moved up here. Nice. Will she, uh, will she achieve that goal? Oh, she's already up here. Yeah. Well, I mean, she's, she's going to stay up here. There's no, no going back. There's no, Oh, she's, uh, she retired two years ago. She goes down for like a month at a time every now and then for my grandmother. Mm. And other than that, she's up here. Nice. Very cool. And are there challenges to living next door to mom? Oh, yeah. <laughs> she's there all the time. Right. But I mean, most of the time, I mean, mostly it's actually pretty great. She helps take care of the dog. She helps, you know, do stuff around the house that I, or I help her do stuff around the house. She helps me with like my laundry and stuff like that. But you know, most of the time I'm pretty independent. Obviously, I'm 36, so. Mm. But this was kind of her whole goal is to get this house for her retirement and all that stuff. So, it went well. Yeah. I love this place. Yeah. Well, we definitely love having you, man. Man, I mean, it's uh, it really has been an absolute wonderful pleasure working with you and and um, you know getting to know you and over time just seeing how you work, how dedicated you are to not only to Canada, but to also to the customers and, and great service. And it's one of the reasons why, one of the major reasons why you're getting promoted. And congratulations on that, by the way. I appreciate that. And I enjoy working with you too, buddy. But before we go, three strains that you will take with you to Mars when you help Elon Musk and your space journey up there. And, and, and uh, Help him plant three. Uh, I got you. I got you. Brownie Scout for an Indica, French King for uh, a hybrid, and Tangy for a Sativa. Wait, where's that star? Uh, oh. I was thinking of Dabs. Yeah, you're right. Death Star for a hybrid. <laughs> like, wait a then Brownie Scout and Tangy still. I was going to say, wait a minute. What did you do with the Luke I knew? What? <laughs> I do love it. I can't wait to get our new pre-roll. I'm gonna get Death Star. What um what about the French King? I haven't had it yet. Uh it's really good. Yeah. It's really good as a dab. I mean it's a really, really mellow, like it's exactly what you want out of a dab. Like you're really yeah. like nice and stone, but you're not like nervous or jittery and you're not too much in the couch. I mean you're just like you're just nice and stone. Nice. I like it a lot. And then Brownie Scout. Brian's couch just, man, put your ass right to sleep. <laughs> Having a hard day? Smoke a bowl of Brian's couch afterwards. You'll feel fine. Have you had the uh, the Star Killer? The rhythm from No, Rhythm? I want you to, though. Dude. Dude, it's so good. It is so... Is it Indica? So, yeah. Dude, it puts me on my oh, ass. Nice. It really nice. puts me on my ass. Yeah, I need, I need elephant tranquilizers to knock me out, man. This thing really does the job. Ellie Confidential and Star Killer for you, then, huh? Oh yeah, that's it. That's marriage. I'm going to start a religion just based on that. You know, for all insomniacs, <laughs> all insomniacs oh, here. Yeah, we're open from eight to eight. By the way, <laughs> come and get your. Uh, and, you know, but God, it's so good. It's it's a nice little ritual just before I go to bed. LA Confidential. As soon as I'm done with that, I took on Star Killer for a little bit and lights out. Oh, that's oh, you're doing both, and I just put you right yeah. out. Yeah, I love nice. the taste of LA Confidential. It's uh, it's. Have you had it? I love, I love the it. taste. I love the taste. But um, you're right, though. Brandy's cat is pretty tasty. <laughs> yeah, LA Confidence was pretty nice, though. Yeah, yeah. Have you had many of the um, 253 pharmacy strains? I've had uh, Bigfoot Glue. Dude, um, I had so, the, they're all so delicious. Yeah, Like, literally just one. tasty. Yeah, 
Yeah. Then I'll park we, we had Blackberry Punch in the circle last night. It was amazing. Like six Blackberry Punch? Oh, it was good. That was amazing. Yeah. All this stuff's amazing. What uh, was it mostly the flavor? Was it, what, what was it? It was like sweet. And I mean, it was like Blackberry Punch. I mean, it was like just like Tropicana Punch. It's like citrusy and like fruity. This is kind of like a little bit fruity, but kind of like a darker fruity taste. Mm-hmm. Like not so vivid, like a little bit darker fruit, and just oh my god, I can't describe it. It's just phenomenal. They're, that's oh. a great vendor. Yeah, I like them a lot. Well, dude, it's been a pleasure, man. I, I cannot cannot tell you how much I appreciate you, your time, and getting to know you. And, you know, and, and and it is difficult for for all the us employees to get to know each other, and and um, you know, because we're always working, or we go out to the circle or something like that, but we never really get the time to. To say that you know, find out the little things that make us who we are. So, but I appreciate it, my man. I really do. Right. You've always been uh, open to me, and you're just a great guy to work with. Thanks, man. You too. Right, see you man. Wednesday. See you, yeah, see you Wednesday because you're not you're off tomorrow, right? Yeah. Cool. All right, my man. My best to you and your right. mom, and right. I'll talk to you later. Yep. All right. See you Wednesday, buddy. Right, bye bye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to our website thefoolpodcast.com and follow us. We'd appreciate your support. More episodes are soon on their way.